0: BLUE 42! BLUE 42! You're gonna have to learn your cliches. You're gonna have to study them, you're gonna have to know them.
1: Well, you know, you got there and you give 110% and you wanna play good and, you know, you hope you play good. I think we played pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word team, and this is a team effort. <laughs> Oh, man, you you just got to play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right! Play ball!
0: Hey, you crazy kids, and thank you for adding the 76th edition of Scoring at the Movies to your day. We go back a bunch of years to review sports films, and we better just tell you right now that we spoil as many of their tasty secrets as we can. I'm the farmer who never played college football and certainly never got to sleep with his hot teacher, Iron Man Ryan Ellis. And here's the squash player who didn't have a meat cute with me when he whapped me with a racquetball. But wouldn't that be a cute story if it were true? Chris Straightero DiGregorio.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. It's funny you gave me that nickname, because I had to tell you. I've been putting it off as long as I could, but they finally caught up with me. I've been accepting gifts from boosters over the last you know, two and a half, three years of recording this podcast, and it seems like that was a contravention of some kind of rule, so... I'm gonna have to sit out the next season of episodes. I hate to tell you. You're gonna have to have an open casting call. So,
0: yeah, awkward. You idiot! (laughs) How dare you! You were the straight arrow! You were the straight arrow, DiGregorio! Straight.
1: What's that coach's name? Straight arrow? Ed
0: Gennaro. Gennaro. Ed, straight arrow, Gennaro.
1: Credit where credit's due. It's a pretty good nickname combo there that the writers came up with. Who is that?
0: Hector Elizondo? Hector Elizondo, the Gary Marshall regular, who I read later on, after Gary Marshall died, it was in Marshall's contract that Elizondo was in every one of his movies. And if he wasn't in every single one, from Pretty Woman on, at least, I think he was, because that was in his contract.
1: I don't know if I know any Gary Marshall movies off the top of my... Although, if you name some, I'm probably
0: sure I've seen them. Marshall got into the New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day, I think Mother's Day series towards the end of his career. Okay. Pretty Woman, which is, of course, the monster hit he made. Hector Elizondo is one of those character actors from, I don't know, when he
1: began his career. I always remember him from the late 80s into the 90s more than anything else. And usually he's one of those guys that I just like across the board. I just find his energy kind of fun most of the time. But he felt so lacking in any energy in this movie, like this was the ultimate paycheck cashier of a role for him. And he was just going through the paces more than anything else. It's almost like he showed up on that. What's my line? It's like the scene from The Simpsons where Krusty's like walking into the recording studio. Out of the way, putts. Let me show you how it's done. Blah 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 blah. Boom! Done. Out of here. And then the engineer turns around and goes, "Okay, Krusty, we're ready to record." Krusty, Krusty, where'd you go? That's how I felt about this. Like Elizondo just showed up on set, banged out his lines, like I'm out of here. And the director's like, "All right, Hector, let's give it one more." Oh, okay. I guess we're doing it in
0: one take, guys. All right. He's a paycheck player. Yeah. I don't agree. I thought he was fine. I liked him better in Pretty Woman, but he was very good in that film. By the way, he started in the late 60s, early 70s. His first couple of roles were back in 69 and 70. Did something in 63, but he really started acting then. So he's been around a very long time. I don't know if he's still acting now. Let me see. He's still alive. I like the combination of him and Robert Loggia. All right. Loggia. Remember, I told you when we did Days of Thunder, and I don't know if we've covered Duval since, but Robert Duval, in so many movies, certainly in the modern era, does that exhale breath thing That's right. And acting a lot in his later career, at least. Well, with Logia, if you watch Independence Day, and Bev and I are going to cover that later this year, he definitely does it in that movie, and he does it a lot in this one. All right. <laughs> Loja, in this movie, seemed
1: like the king of upset postures. The amount of times that the camera would cut to him and he'd be just sitting somewhere with his head literally between his knees or just disconsolately looking at the ground. That
0: seemed to be 50% of his performance. The other 50% is throwing his hat, getting mad, having a tantrum, That's ripping right. off his clothes. <laughs> he's a very volatile coach. That
1: is one of the most fun scenes in the movie to me, is that halftime scene where he's taken over for Ed Gennaro. And he's trying to give the guys the, let's go, we got this game speech. But he's dressed himself up in the suit for the first time in the movie. And then halfway through the speech, he can't take it anymore. I don't feel right. This isn't me. And then the quiet, soft-spoken Robert Loja goes away for the ranting, raving Robert Loja. It happens just that fast. And for no apparent reason. He just goes off the rails. But it's great. Did you laugh at this movie that much? No. And I had two questions for you off the top. That was going to be one of them, too. We've covered a few movies on this podcast, notably things like The Longest Yard That are definitely intended to be comedies, and I don't think either one of us particularly laughed, if at all. This felt the same way to me in many respects. The biggest difference to me was because this is an early 90s era movie, I could see the moments that were intended to be funny, but just didn't necessarily age, right? So they didn't strike me as funny anymore. But the contrast to that was The Longest Yard or, um, What's the Paul Newman hockey movie? Slapshot. Yeah, or Slapshot. I struggle to even identify where the comedy was intended to be in those movies. This is about as early 90s a movie as a movie could possibly be from the casting to the writing to the way that the movie is structured, I felt. And I just don't think the humor aged very well. Not to the point where it was offensive, because this isn't a terribly offensive movie with maybe like one or two scenes where you're like, eh, that's not great anymore. It's not, I don't think, terribly funny anymore either.
0: You're right, though. You could see where they're trying to be funny. It just wasn't actually funny. But you see the attempts of humor. I tittered a few times. I like the cast's chemistry all right. A little soft chuckle or chortle under your breath, perhaps? I chortled. But this was on your list of early 90s movies you wanted to see from when you were a kid, right? So that's one reason we chose it. Plus it was free on Prime. Oh, wait, I have not asked you. What are you drinking there? You're sipping something and it's not a beer. This is not a beer tonight. No, I felt like for a testosterone-fueled movie like this, I would go away
1: from my usual fruit-infused sour beers and go into something a little bit more hardcore. So I'm going with a little Buffalo Trace bourbon. I know that's one you and Bev are familiar with. It's one of my go-to sippers when I feel like a little bourbon. And I know that we're talking Texas here. We're not talking Kentucky in this movie, but it was the closest alcohol I had on hand that sort of fit the (laughs) bill. So that's what I'm going with. You got your uh, CC and Coke or CC and Pepsi on hand?
0: Yeah, that's what it is. Canadian club, diet, Pepsi combination. There we go. Let me give you some numbers and we'll get back into the conversation. You had another question for me. But first, I will say that 15 yards and an automatic first down, which is what you get for unnecessary roughness. Ah now he gets it was released by paramount 30 years ago on september 27th 1991 the film was a mild success although it only made about half as much as its obvious inspiration major league did two years earlier so it didn't fail but that one was a pretty big hit this was an okay hit that definitely is funnier i watched major league again not long ago because it was also on prime and i watched it late at night and i still love that movie
1: this is the same studio that made both movies right this is
0: paramount paramount yep So they were clearly trying to cash in. Yeah, there's no producer that crosses over a writer. It's just the same studio. Right. As for the Rotten Tomatoes reviews, not good at all. 33% of critics liked this film and 46% of audiences, both big time splats of tomatoes. It was 48th at the 1991 U.S. box office. We've covered these three. The Last Boy Scout was 21st, Point Break was 29th, and Lionheart was 56th. All three of those are debatably sports movies, but we covered them all. <laughs> but they're three fun movies. I think we can agree that all three of them are pretty fun. Oh, yeah. Last Boy Scout and Point Break I've seen so many times. Oh, yeah. I've owned them for many years. Also, one interesting, notable, necessary roughness is it was second in its opening weekend to The Fisher King, hmm. which was number one for a few weeks. I did not know Fisher King was that much of a success or that this was second. And then this stayed in the top 10 for several weeks. So that's why it basically did okay. But that's also when box office was a different story. You didn't have to make trillions of dollars to be a success or to stay in the public consciousness and whatnot back then. You could live for a little longer. What was your second question for me, though?
1: Before I ask you the question, you did mention that this is one of those early movies I proposed we cover at some point, and we couldn't do it for a while. I did see this when I was a kid, more than once, for sure. It's one of those movies that ran on TV a lot back in the day. But in the interest of full transparency, I have to say one of the reasons I was so into this movie when I was a kid and so interested in doing it as an adult is mostly because I was a huge Quantum Leap fan, which was on the air, of course, when this movie came out, and I guess which is what probably made Scott Bakula a star. So much of my love for this movie is directly related to my love for Quantum Leap, which is something I really remembered upon watching it as an adult. I'm like, oh yeah, this movie just isn't really that good, is it? But, ah, Scott (laughs) Bakula. Did you like him in this movie as this lead character? In this movie, to me, Scott Bakula reminds me of Keanu Reeves in Hardball, in the scenes where he's just meant to be a little bit of like a laid back country guy, just kind of easy going and the good teammate and the good dude, it was fine. But anytime he had to try to express anger or emotion, oh,
0: Scott, you just can't. Yeah, okay. That's fair. Maybe not as bad as Keanu for that, but.
1: No, but from the perspective of more or less being a blank slate of a character. He reminded me a lot of Keanu's performance, so he was fine. It was just, there was a few moments, like I said, particularly during the bar fight scenes and where he's meant to explode with anger at Hector Elizondo. The
0: I quit scene. I don't buy it. I'm sorry. No, I don't get it. Great hair, though. Oh, fantastic flow. He and Harley Kozak would have handsome babies if they ever actually made it together. They're a pretty good looking combination. And this era of mid-30s Scott Bakula
1: is a handsome dude. Nice jawline on that man. So yeah, beautiful babies for sure.
0: So the movie hasn't aged well for you is what you're saying then. You liked it more as a kid, not so much now, which is the point of the podcast. When you asked me about doing this in the first place, let's watch movies that we saw when we were kids and see how we feel about them now. This was a hit for you then. It isn't now by the sounds of it. Which probably shouldn't be a shock to anybody over
1: the age of 10 that watches this movie. This is exactly the kind of movie that even as a 40-year-old, if it was on television, for instance, and I came across it, I'd be perfectly fine to just have it on for an hour and a half and just feel yeah. not challenged not upset by anything just kind of an enjoyable hour and a half where i don't have to think about anything for a little while and just pass the time but i did have that question to ask you and actually a second one came to mind too and this is a little bit nitpicky i will put that out there right now it is for sure at the start of this movie they specifically referenced the fact that scott Bakula's character paul blake the lead of this movie is a guy that never went to college because he was a hot shot high school football quarterback star, but his father passed away just before his freshman year of college and he gave it all up to run the family farm. Then time passes. So they make a big deal at the beginning of the movie of the fact that he's 34 now, right? And the next scene he's on, well, not the next scene, but he's been recruited by Robert Loge's character. He finally shows up on campus to be the 34-year-old freshman. One of the people in the dorms makes a comment about 40-year-old freshman, at the time of this movie's filming slash release, he would have been like 36 37th, depending on the exact release date. Thirty
0: six during filming, April to June of 1990. So thirty six is what I saw. We've talked in the past about
1: relative age disparities between actors and what they're supposed to be portraying, like Robert Redford in The Natural, for instance. We talked about that, how he's so much older than the character he's meant to be. If you're a screenwriter slash director on something like Necessary Roughness, and you've got a lead now cast who's Scott Bakula, and you know he's 36, for instance... And especially since you have this particular quip in the script where somebody comments about a 40-year-old freshman, why don't you actually make the character 40, really ramp up the age disparity with him and his aging body versus the younger competition he's playing against, or just make the character Bacula's age, because
0: he's close enough to 34 anyway, just make him 36. Well, the director, Stan Dragati, I assume is how you pronounce his name, did Mr. Mom. Maybe that's one reason why that could be explained. Mr. Mom, cute movie. This was his last movie, though, incidentally. I don't know why, because... Well, he wasn't nearly 60. Maybe he wanted to retire. He'd been married to Cheryl Teagues earlier in his life, so he wanted life anyway long before he made movies or when he was making (laughs) movies, I guess. But not a big-name director. The two writers, Rick Natkin and David Fuller, only wrote five for Rick and two for David screenplays. All of them, including this, I'd say are meh. So maybe these three people, the producers, the studio were just out to lunch with this movie and didn't know what to do with it. I wouldn't say they buried it in September exactly. It's a good time to release a football movie, but maybe they don't know what they're doing. When I looked up Bakula's age during the film, I thought maybe he was going to be. I don't know what age I thought he would be actually. He was a pitcher years later in Major League Back to the Minors on many really? Major League films. Huh. It looks like they had some of the players come back from that who were in the other Major League movies, but. Beringer sheen those guys were long gone so bacula became the star of that one presumably he was playing about 40 maybe into his early 40s because he would have been that age at that point but he doesn't look like he's an old man in this and when they show him early on throwing footballs at that effective scarecrow in his field he's put the jersey on that 88 thing pays off later I remember that moment from a movie, I didn't know it was this one, yeah. where he flashes back and sees the numbers and hits the guy right in the numbers, and it's the one guy from the previous team who wasn't dirty, who got to play but wasn't very good, and he scores the winning two-point conversion. That's right. But when he's throwing balls in that sequence in the beginning, always going right and always calling blue 42, blue 42, he calls that play a lot. Either Bakula is a good athlete or they made him look like a good athlete, because yeah. I thought he was very convincing as a quarterback in that opening sequence and then throughout the movie when he actually had to throw the ball. The portrayal of the sport in this movie, we've seen worse. It's deliberately bad in those first games, especially the very first game, the sequence where they can't even run plays properly. They're running back and fullback are running with each other, running at the quarterback. But Bakula seems like a real quarterback. And the other guys, when they're supposed to be better, seem effective enough. I think he actually is better in this than Keanu is in the I'm so mad scenes of hardball. <laughs> I'll give you that. I yeah. see the comparison. I get the comparison, but I think I prefer Bacula in this movie. The cast is pretty good, though. We already talked about the two coaches, Elizondo and Loja, long time pros, who I think did fine. He does come off as an athlete, which is something
1: that as we develop a longer list of movies that we've watched through this, more often than not, I'm kind of impressed at how well these filmmakers are able to make their leads or even they're just cast generally appear athletic there's been the odd circumstances where we've talked at length about those that fail to do that but i feel like more often than not they do a good job and maybe that's just the natural athleticism of the actor or actress in the role but in this case i agree with you Bacula did a good job i also agree that aside from the circumstances where they're being intentionally goofy about the portrayal of the sport they do a good job of actually portraying a football game better than we've seen in other movies that were more serious than this for sure one of the things I did find goofy early on, and this is what I was thinking about asking you about, Hector Elizondo's character we were introduced to as a guest host on Chris Berman's Sports Center bit,
0: where they're talking about the disgraced was it Texas State? Texas State University, which is made up, it's not real. The Texas State University fighting or fighting armadillos. Do you think they picked that mascot specifically because it's so closely associated with roadkill
1: as far as visual imagery goes? no but now i do oh there you go boom big brain <laughs> well thinking we're introduced to hector elizondo's character in that circumstance and they're talking about the disgraced previous year's championship team that was taking all kinds of bribes and stuff from boosters that's of course your reference to street arrow genero because he is notoriously famous for being hard on any of his players that weren't living up to their academic past or were trying to accept any illicit bribes and i think We've talked in the past about how poorly college athletes are compensated for the sport they play, and not just football, but sports generally. Those sports generate so much money for the universities, and coaches are mm-hmm. so well paid, at least at bigger schools, and the athletes are just pretty much hung out to dry, even those that receive scholarships. This is a system that needs fixing. But that said, this is how we're introduced to the guy. And he comes off the set, and he's approached by
0: the dean of Texas State, I take it? No, the president of the college, the dean, is Larry Miller, who is so annoying. He's annoying, but he's fairly funny. Also in Pretty Woman with Hector Elizondo, Stanley, the year before, although Gary Marshall didn't direct this. I said Stan Rigotti did. But Larry Miller is the dean, and the actual president of the school is Fred Thompson, or at this point was Fred Dalton Thompson. The year before, the year of Pretty Woman, he was in two pretty big movies, Die Hard 2, where I thought he was very solid as the head of the air traffic control, whatever you call that job exactly. And, of course, we covered him. He's got a small part in Days of Thunder. That's right. And then he became a controversial and dickish politician. But I thought he was a pretty good actor. But, yes, he runs the school. That's why he's the one that fires Dean Philip, Larry Miller's character, at the end.
1: He's the one that offers the head coaching job to Gennaro. Uh It was funny to watch Gennaro put up this struggle because this guy just shows up out of the blue. One thing we tend to know about... People that get into coaching in sports, whether it's professionally or at the college level, you tend to love the game so much and you just want to be around it. And if you're not doing it, not to just generalize wildly, but I think more often than not, it's because you've kind of been pushed out of the game for some reason, rightly or wrongly. So there's no expectation that he's trying to get the job or anything, but this president shows up and just starts throwing the job at him. Listen, I want you to coach because you've got that straight arrow reputation. And frankly, we just need that. You can do whatever you want. There'll be no oversight. You don't have to win because we're not expecting to win. All of our team just got banned, essentially. It's just a free ride for you for at least a few years. Please come coach for us. And the guy's just like, nope, not interested. Nope. Dear God, you're playing the ultimate hardball here, man. What more do you want? And then he's just like, finally, yeah, all right, I'll do it. And shows up and immediately is like, oh, I missed the locker room. Didn't you miss the locker room, Robert Loja? I missed the locker room. Yeah, I know you <laughs> did. How did you almost blow this job offer, man?
0: isn't that what happens in the replacements with gene hackman as well they bring him in to coach the team and he doesn't want to do it doesn't want to do it come on okay (laughs) yeah that's right no no all right you wore me down on the third try yes
1: i'll do it (laughs) i've made no changes to the terms of the agreement i've offered you no more money
0: but yeah i'll take the job now that's fine well as far as the winning and losing goes that does fit into the nutshell i've written down here so necessary roughness in a nutshell I've never seen people be so happy to finish the season with a 100 winning percentage. They went 1-8-1, and one, and yet everyone is so thrilled. Wouldn't that be a 150 winning percentage? Don't they give them half of the percentage if they tie? I contemplated that when I was writing my notes earlier today. You could be right, maybe, but regardless, if they hit a 300 winning percentage, it'd still be surprising to see people be this happy. But then, as he says in the huddle, all the pain and all the aches, you won't feel any of that if we get in that end zone. I did find that kind of a fun little, slightly amusing ending too.
1: I couldn't quite remember the overarching plot of this, whether or not they were going to start out slow and then be like the Cinderella team that somehow squeaks into the whatever bowl game. So I was kind of happy to see that the grand victory at the end was a single victory, albeit over the best team in the state, apparently. I kind of like that touch. I don't know how you felt about that, or would you have preferred that it was more maybe we finished 6-4 and four or 5-5, five and five, but we squeak into the
0: bowl game? I'm mocking it with my nutshell by saying I've never seen people be so happy, but you're right. That's exactly what should happen. There's no way this team should be remotely able to compete with anybody when they've got all these has-beens, was and people that don't even know where to go on a play— Even if their quarterback does have talent, the receiver, who's really fast, can't catch the ball until, of course, at the end when it matters, he catches the ball, Featherstone. If they had been a successful team and got to a bowl game, that would be such a lie. It would be Mighty Ducks. It would be that kind of arc all over again. Hardball as well, which are fun movies. But they're also kids' movies. And maybe you get away with that more in a kids' movie than you do in a grown-up movie. And they don't even have the same program, the same coaches from before when they won championships. This is all new. The players are new. The team might as well be fully new. The school isn't, but it might as well be. And the dean, Larry Miller's character, is fighting against them at every turn, which is a comedy thing, but it's also got to make things tougher. Also something that's in Major League. The owner and that movie is always fighting against them the whole time, but they rise up. But those guys had hidden depths that they just never got a chance to play. Right. And then Jake had one last good season in him as well, as it turned out. These guys don't have any of that. So, yes, if they'd actually been truly successful this year, that would have been a far bigger lie. So I'm glad they didn't have that, at least. But if the movie had been funnier, I probably would have been more touched by it because you do rally behind people that can find joy in something. They're getting to play. We've talked about that in other sports movies. In hardball, that's supposed to be the message. Showing up. They get to play. They got better, as is what happened in this movie as well. That is the point. Yeah. And then you get the ultimate loser on their team who... Shouldn't be on the team is only there because of his heart, and then got to keep playing because he wasn't a cheater from the previous year, is the one that ends up being the hero. Although all he had to do was just go, oh, yeah, put his hands around the ball because Paul Blake hits him right in the numbers with that football. I think you actually hit on something that affected me
1: a little bit with this movie in terms of how much I enjoyed it. Again, as a forty-year-old watching a movie that's probably not really directed so much at forty-year-olds, but. The one thing that we've talked about in other movies, Hardball, we've done recently enough that it makes sense as a comparison, but think about G-Baby, right? And how much we loved that character and the emotional impact of that character's story and how it affected how we viewed the ending of it and how much we enjoyed it. I think that was missing for me in this movie. The one character that's probably meant to be the feel-good story character is that one holdover from the previous year that had no chance except for these wild circumstances. But we never really got to know that guy at all. No, we didn't. We became aware of him and then that's it. And then he sort of disappears for the entire movie until more or less the end, except for like one or two scenes where his face just sort of pops up. So I feel like maybe that's the biggest flaw for me of this movie in its entirety, even if it's kind of a bubblegummy, not too funny comedy on the whole, is that I never really felt anything once it was over. I'm like, all right, well, that was a thing that I just spent 90 minutes doing and then Mm -hmm. no impression whatsoever. Whereas... Whether it was Bakula's character or even that guy's character, whose name I can't even remember. That's how little impact he had on me. If we had taken a little bit of time to just maybe get some emotional connection with them or understand what they were hoping to achieve in this last game and just somehow feel like, yay, you did it. That would have helped me enjoy
0: the climax of the movie a little bit more. Andrew Lauer plays Charlie Banks. He's the one who makes the final catch. You know who actually the comparison for G-Baby would be? Although you're right. Banks is probably supposed to be the G-Baby or whatever. The emotional investment you have in this team. But the unsung hero of this whole movie is Manu. True. And you mentioned him leading into this podcast two weeks ago in 42. Because I said the only controversy in this movie would be the lady place kicker. We haven't gotten to her yet. But then you mentioned about how there's a Samoan linebacker. And I guess he is a line man, actually. He's the center. And I think, well, they all go both ways, don't they? Although Bakula doesn't, but most of them go both ways, which is unbelievable to think they could be Iron Men. <laughs> well, I guess they're put into shape as the movie plays out, but yeah. no wonder they get beat so badly. They have to play basically the whole game both ways. Most of them do. But Peter Sasapo, I am probably saying that wrong, it's a tough is one who plays Manu Mana, and they call him Manu. He's got the biggest heart in this whole movie. I love the moment where he guards the shower, those guys aren't being too leery. They call her a little bit. It's 1991. I know women or a lot of people watching this movie now would be upset, but it wasn't that bad. And then he's the one that shuts it down. And when he guards the shower, they're not going to try to get in there probably anyway, but if they do, he will beat the living crap out of them. Yeah. And he isn't doing that moment. And you could do it in a comedy like this. This is a raunchy comedy, though not R-rated. They do have a few swears in it. And there's the scene when they're fighting the locker room where it looks like it's been heavily edited from bad language. There is some swearing in it, but there's not very much. Maybe back then you could say the F word a few times and you could still get a PG-13 rating. But anyway, he's not doing that leery thing of, oh yeah, now I'll take a peek when she's not looking. He does not do that. And at the end, he gets a kiss on the cheek and then collapses. (laughs) He faints. Not that funny, but very cute. I liked him a lot. He was a really sweet dude. He was one of the best
1: portrayed characters in this movie. And we don't really get to know any characters at all in this movie beyond maybe Bacula's character a little bit. And that includes Manu. We get introduced to him as Blake's roommate when he, for some reason, moves into the dorms. I guess maybe the farm's too far away from campus and he doesn't want to commute. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to call you Sir or Mr. Blake because I've been taught to respect my elders. You do get the sense that this is a legitimately nice, respectful, good dude. And you're right. It was a nice touch that, because this is another thing I couldn't quite remember about this movie. I remembered Kathy Ireland was in it height of her supermodel fame in 1991 aside from jason bateman's character making a kind of annoying remark about her body
0: early on there's no lewd comedy in the movie they all do a little hoot and holler thing at one point early on it's quite limited all things considered. but it's very brief and the thing that actually made me laugh out loud in this movie larry miller made me chuckle and short a little bit more than anyone else actually i know he's annoying but he was kind of funny he could have been george and seinfeld by the way Really? Yes, he was always Jerry Seinfeld's friend. He and Larry David are the two people that Jerry knew from long ago. So he wrote with Larry David, and he was going to act with Larry Miller, but they went with Jason Alexander instead. Miller's good. Alexander is a great actor, so they worked out well there. But the thing that made me laugh in this movie, because I didn't remember it, I haven't seen this movie in so long, and I didn't expect it, is that when the guy bowls her over after she kicks, was that what happens? Anyway, yeah, yeah, she makes the tying field goal in the 3-3 game the water bowl they're getting drenched in the field we see most football movies have a scene where even football they probably wouldn't keep playing anyway she gets wiped out by that guy if that's not the game whatever should be a serious penalty although I guess she made the kick so it didn't matter you would decline the penalty and instead of Manu getting in there he's trying to and I thought that's what it was going to be is he'd come in and sock him in the face or something she gets up kicks him right square in the nuts and knocks him down herself takes care of herself (laughs) so relatively speaking she can defend herself and I looked up her facts and figures about this i didn't really know she'd acted much she made about 10 movies in her career she's 5'10 so she's not a oh, little really? supermodel and of course she was at this point a supermodel she's not a terrible actress she was in mr destiny by the way a baseball movie we could do one day jim belushi's in that i don't remember that one but i know i saw it apparently many women have played college football since this movie but when she comes up to try to kick the ball not convincing at all no she's got no kicking motion at all her leg goes back maybe
1: like an inch and a half and then gently sweeps forward and then you get the cutaway shot the ball just flying through the air as much as bacula might have sold his ability to throw the ball she did not kathy did not yeah really sell the kicking motion unfortunately but on the whole give her props for the role in this one as a fellow middle-aged gentleman now ryan let me ask you this because one of the primary attempts at humor in this movie definitely was around scott Bakula's character's age and the fact that he was coming back to college the number of jokes at his expense whether it's him being mistaken for a parent in the dorms or him being mistaken as a professor or just being laughed at when it comes out that he's actually in this freshman class i get it's 1991 but a he's 34 Mm -hmm. and b is it so unheard of in texas that somebody who may not have had the opportunity to continue their education when they were younger might go back to school for some reason. Oh my God, a
0: 30-something-year-old in a (laughs) freshman class? (gasps) What? (laughs) Well, Hollywood is very ageist, so that does make sense. But the other thing I can tell you is that two years after this movie came out, almost to the day, I met one of my closest friends and the best man at my wedding, Frank, who at the time, when I was 19, he was 38. There you go. And he was the most popular guy in our class. And two years later, the third year of school, he won an award that was effectively the best student in our class. I don't think he was the best student. He didn't think he was the best student, but we all liked him so much. And he was a good student, without a doubt. He was the producer of our big show we do that went on television and everything. He was twice my age. I'm still friends with him now. And he fit in with people immediately. The most well-liked guy i probably ever met in my life in any group he's ever been in. You know him. You could speak to that, too. And I assume you first met him while heckling him when he
1: entered the first class of the year about, hey, old man, where's your kid? Or something like that.
0: (laughs) And then it was like best friends. You could be my dad, (laughs) literally. (laughs) No, you're right. It's just dumb that they do that, but they're just trying to be funny. This is one of those movies that we could hack the comedy attempts But they are comedy attempts. They just aren't that funny. If the movie was funnier, we'd probably be raving about it right now. Because Major League, again, I saw it only a few months ago, holds up pretty well. I still laugh quite a bit. I still love the sequence when Vaughn comes out at the end to Wild Thing and then they win the game. And that is relatively believable as that plays out for the movie. This one's not going for that same element because they're just trying to win a game, as it turns out. That's not what they say their goal is, but that's what it ends up becoming. Yeah. We didn't even mention Sinbad, incidentally, who I think is actually somebody who brings a lot of life to this movie. It's pretty good. Also in Jingle All the Way, a couple years after this, which some people consider a Christmas classic. I don't agree, but he brings life to this movie as the older guy. The teacher is also a lineman, pretty good player. Jason Bateman, it took me a while to figure out what his role is on this team that I realized, oh, he's the running back or maybe fullback, but it looks like he's a running back. He was only 22 when they made this movie. He's so cute. He looks so young too. He looks so young. And of course, we've covered him before in Dodgeball. He was the funny announcer in that movie. He's not Pepper, is he? He's the other guy, right? It's Pepper and Cotton. Cotton. I forget which one's Pepper and which one's Cotton. Oh, I think he is Gary Pepper. Cole and him. I got to admit, even
1: back in the day, I wasn't a huge fan of Sinbad's. Everyone's got their own performance style. His was never my favorite. He does bring some good life to this movie. I was immediately struck, though, the first time we're introduced to him teaching, I guess it's an astronomy class of some kind. It was a cute moment where he says, you're all wondering, is this going to help me pass this class? The answer is no, but I had to watch it back <laughs> when I was in the schools, in this class, so you got to also. But did you notice that, again, 1991, so computers and stuff, pretty expensive. They're taking this freshman, for some reason, astronomy class in a classroom that is fully equipped at every desk with a desktop computer. This is a small Texas school, and you've just got a
0: fully computer lab-equipped classroom. Two things, though. One is it's university universities especially in america get more money don't they than colleges or universities here i never saw that outside of a computer lab at university of toronto for instance i never saw a single classroom that had a desk and this is like 2000 era i'm thinking of but maybe you're right maybe they're better funded could be that don't forget that until months ago this was a championship and in fact multi-season championship caliber team in sports that may have brought in money that helps the students because even though you and I feel exactly the hand thing, the hand means, thing the money, means the money the finger thing means the taxes <laughs> I think that's the right quote from the Simpsons is, we watched yeah. it but we like to adapt it that could be why we actually gloss over that a little bit at the whole controversy about what happened that they got drummed out of the league not drummed out of the league but they had to basically kill the program and start over and then of course the Dean Larry Miller's character wants no football at all which is his whole arc in the whole film which is a little bit silly but that's his arc and, of course, it's a football movie, so you got the concussions angle, which does not dealt with at all in this movie that I can think of. Nobody ever has any stars in their head. But those are two things when we deal with college football movies. Concussions and the booster stuff coupled with the dirty money, which is glossed over so fast in the film. That's the reason why. There's even a story in this movie. So if they wanted any weight, I guess they would have given that more weight than they did. But maybe they felt they covered it enough. Maybe there's deleted scenes where it deals with it a lot more than they thought. Let's get to Bacula. (laughs) Because they wouldn't have Bacula be in the movie until they get to the football season, right? And there may be too much of Fred Thompson, Hector Elizondo, Robert Loja. And they'd be saying, these old guys got to be in this movie. But this is about Bacula and Kozak and eventually Kathy Ireland. I don't know. Could be that as well. This is an attractive cast if you have those old guys in the movie too long then you risk losing your audience <laughs> it's something that i think about now having watched
1: the snyder cut of the justice league movie regardless of how you might feel about whedon's version of that versus snyder's version or care about it at all just the fact that a director had all this excess footage and could so drastically admittedly with some reshoots but still could so drastically produce a different product than a different director using largely the same material. I think all the time now, whenever I'm watching a movie, this one included, how much of this was studio-driven, producer-driven, well, we got to do this because it's going to make the most money, or we can't linger on any backstory, we got to get to Bacula's beautiful flow as fast as possible. (laughs) What would this movie be, maybe, if you had a director that was just, okay. Zack Snyder produce your four hour cut of necessary roughness where you get like a three hour dramatic reveal of the corruption that led to the downfall of the Texas State University football program before you even meet any of the characters that are going to carry
0: out the rest of the story. I think that'd be really interesting. But why dwell on it? And you do have this pure group of people. They're just playing for the love of the game, I guess. Yeah, the movie's not got a lot of substance, but the beginning of the movie could have had substance. But as I say all this now, I guess I'm realizing that I don't know if I really care about that, because that's not what this movie is. It's supposed to be an uplifting comedy with some love story stuff in it. Harley Kozak, Harley Jane Kozak. She was in Parenthood, and when Harry met Sally the same year, 1989, two years before this, never really took off. She's Rick Moranis's way better than him wife in Parenthood. She and Bakula, I think, have pretty good chemistry together. We find out that she had this big crush on him when they were rivals in high school. She was a cheerleader against his team, and her boyfriend was beaten by Bakula's high school team. They eventually do it. They finally get it on. But she is his teacher, so that seems incredibly immoral. The dean has a point. He probably could fire her for messing around with her students, although she doesn't actually get together with Bakula in bed until the end of the movie. But then the dean hasn't been fired yet. He gets fired during the game, which is, I think, the next day or something or later on. So he probably would be within his rights to fire her. A little immoral on her part. I guess maybe there's
1: morality clauses in a professor's contract or something. But there's two things you mentioned there that I remember twigging to when I was watching the movie. The first is her character back when she was a cheerleader for the opposing high school that Bakula destroyed in the state championship, I guess. She goes, you don't know what you did to me. And she's like, oh... I really made you upset by beating your boyfriend in that game? And she's like, no. And then she describes a huge crush. But then she keeps describing what she was doing when she was like a 16 or 17 year old cheerleader about how she would drive by his house in the night or cut out pictures of him and carry them around. This has gone from being cute to being uncomfortably stalkerish very quickly. If you were that focused on the guy, at no point did she turn around and go, I remember you from blah, 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 high school when she hits. Which she would. Yeah, of course she does. And instead just plays it coy for the next half hour of the movie until she reveals her secret crush on him. That was a weird character turn this movie took, but it's never really addressed again. So whatever. Their love story progresses until, what is it? It's after the washout game that you described where they tie, was it Kansas? I think the Jayhawks they tied in that
0: game. Yes, Good program, as they say in the movie. No overtime. It was too wet. They didn't want to go that route and keep everyone out in the Is field. Is it possible that maybe these people don't know anything about football? I don't think that they do. They're not inept about football the way that... What was the movie we covered but they don't know anything about baseball? Rookie of the Year. There you go. Rookie of the Year last year. Right. They knew nothing about baseball. You're right. There probably
1: should have been overtime. But yeah, when the Dean confronts Bakula and... I forget the actress's name. Harley Kozak? Harley Kozak. Thank you. Yeah, they're having... Suzanne! A, they're having a conversation at the gangway of the stadium... And the Dean walks up and starts confronting them about their relationship and all that kind of stuff. And it's one of those quintessential 80s, 90s movie scenes. This is something that would never happen in real life. This is a conflict that would never happen because even the barest sense of logic or the briefest statement would just diffuse the whole situation. But the Dean's aggressively attacking them about having a relationship together. And Bacchus is just like, tell them how we feel and rather than just say guys, I'm not having this conversation right now, I'm going home, or basically anything sensible, her character just sort of sits there and goes, abba, 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 until Scott Bakula's like, that's it, I'm out of here, runs off and gets drunk. We know they're three adults, because there's been many jokes made about Scott Bakula's age at this point, so we know they're three grown adults here. And she's a doctor. <laughs> that's right. And he's she's a, also a PhD,
0: And he's a farmer. <laughs>
1: that was a little bit a bridge too far for me that particular scene although the follow-up scene where bacula is trying to get himself wrecked slovenly hunched over a table slamming down whiskeys at some sort of fancy
0: dinner that's cute i like that and then i quit i'm out of here he doesn't even apologize when he comes back whatever it's supposed to be a couple of days later or the next day something that's right he doesn't does he it just takes him back it doesn't even say i was wrong i apologize he's just back on the team They do need a
1: quarterback, though. We've already established that
0: zero people on this team can throw a football straight. (laughs) They have 17 players. Now they have 16 players. Well, hell, Bateman's character nearly walks away because he doesn't like that his dad's going to buy him a diploma and he doesn't like that. He's about to walk away, too. And that's what convinces Bakula out of nowhere. He's so mad. And then, wait a minute. We're both going back. (laughs) I immediately
1: see the light. Very important question for you. Speaking of Bateman's character... Was it as upsetting to you as it was to me that every time we see Bateman's character in any kind of practice scene in this movie, he's always wearing his athletic gear, right? Cloth, shorts, and a t-shirt. But he's always got his t-shirt tucked into his shorts. (laughs) You're doing football drills. If nothing else, that's going to restrict your movement. As silly as it looks... For the sake of practicality, untuck that shirt, I beg you. <laughs> Never mind the fact it's friggin' Texas, and I'm sure it's like the height of summer and 100 right. degrees.
0: and the summer must be deadly hot. Get
1: some airflow
0: in that torso, man, come on. Baby, I'm still so young at this point, I don't know if he said, Hey, Stan, I got an idea, I'll look really nerdy and dorky like this. Although he's not a nerd, Mm-mm. he's getting people to write tests for him. He's not really a cool kid either, I don't know who exactly he is. He's just a rich kid, I guess. Well, what about the convict team? Jerry Rice... Jim Kelly, Dick Butkus, who has the most dialogue of any of them, Herschel Walker, and many other football stars. They massacre our team. Then later on, they come back and they cheer for our guys. Relatively funny moment when they stand up and they just glare or whatever, say, hey, to the fans, and immediately they stop dogging our guys. If you didn't know football very well, you wouldn't know who any of those people are. I don't know if I would have recognized anyone other than Butkus at a glance. Maybe Jerry Rice's face would have stood out to me, but I knew they were in the movie, so I was looking for all their faces. Again, attempt at comedy maybe it doesn't succeed so well. The scene where we asked, "What are you in for?" and what was the answer? Fraud or something? Computer fraud. Computer fraud. Computer fraud <laughs> in the early nineties,
1: which I thought Computers was a nice were not touch. that
0: common in the early nineties. You already said it. Were they really on people's desks?
1: I said off the top. I never laughed as we're talking about. There were cute moments throughout, no doubt, because he just annihilates Scott Bakula in his response to what was the crime you committed? Oh, nothing violent. Computer fraud. Is this a thing that colleges? do in the states or universities do in the states just have exhibition games against inmate teams because we saw it in the longest yard but it made sense within the context of that story we're all focused on inmates so you have to have an opponent for them have them play exhibition games against whomever but is this just a thing that happens or did they specially arrange this for this one team because nothing really comes of it it's not like they
0: bond it's either a movie thing or it's a texas thing Could be. They do things differently. They in Florida (laughs) have their own set of rules. That's true. Although, does anyone sound like they're from Texas? No. Bev and I talked about that not long ago on The Departed, that when we went to Boston, very few people in Boston sound like they're from Baston that we ever heard. We were there for a few days. We rarely heard an accent that sounds like the cliche accent, which is, I guess, true about the characters in this film, too. But then their broadcaster, their version of Bob Euchre, who was one of the best things about Major League, Rob Schneider doing his making cup bass type thing at one point, point. The Abominator, whatever nicknames he gives people, he really should be from Texas. Maybe other people are imports from somewhere else, although nobody's supposed to have a scholarship, so they probably all should sound like they're from Texas. But whatever, we'll let that slide. But he really should be. You're not going to bring in somebody from out of state to be your broadcaster. And he sounds like Rob Schneider always sounds. To me, this felt like the most 90s movie you could make within
1: the context of this plot. Case in point, Rob Schneider as the announcer doing the copy guy thing this could only happen circa 1991 at no other time in history would this be the choice that this director made there's a lot of logical inconsistencies in this movie for sure <laughs> i am never the one to mention this i don't think but i will this time this soundtrack to this movie there's not a ton of actual songs that came across to me like at one point there's all my exes live in texas very on the nose but this movie loves it some solo electric guitar of sadness so whenever something would happen that would make Scott Bakula's <laughs> character upset, there would be a scene of him driving away in his Jeep or something and in the background. You'd just hear like a, <whistles> a guy soloing in a studio somewhere, just trying to convey some deep emotion. Then you wept. <laughs>
0: Profusely. Did you see who the composer was in this movie? I did not, no. Bill Conti. Really? The Rocky guy, the Karate Kid guy, even the Rookie of the Year guy. Bill Conti did Rookie of the Year? I did not know that till looking up what other credits he has. I dug it, man. I dug that solo guitar. Also, did you recognize one of the players is, I think I've got this name right, Andrew Briniarski or Briniarski. will probably do the program or, as Bill Clinton would say, the program at some point in the next year or two. Football movie also. I think a college football movie. Any given Sundays and that is one of the many players. And he played Leatherface as well. And for that matter, the year after this, he is Christopher Walken's son in Batman Returns okay and also the guy who plays manu was in fast and the furious i don't remember which character he played but the one we covered last year and he was in basketball manu was in basketball
1: yeah he was ed tuttle he must have been an opposing player i think and now that i think about it in one of the games oh that could be we've talked about how much i think we like manu as a character in this movie but because of the time in which this movie was made it would have been very easy for them to make a bunch of gags at that character's expense I don't know if he's meant to be a Hawaiian by background or Samoan by background. No, I think
0: he said Samoan, didn't he? Did he?
1: He's Samoan. Oh, is he Samoan? Yeah. Okay. So they could have made a lot of bad gags about that. And aside from one bad Rob Schneider quip about poi, he worked poi into a comment. But aside from that, they'd stayed away from any racial gag at Manu's expense, which I kind of appreciate in the same way I appreciated them not really fixating too much on Kathy Ireland making some bad jokes at the fact that she's...
0: A woman on this team, or Sinbad or Featherstone being black—that's not really an issue. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So they didn't really fixate on that too much. But then the contrast to that, to me anyway, and again, a movie of its time, is the one player that was into karate or jujitsu, and they made some really bad gags about him having a master. And I'm like, oh, come on, man, don't do that. Although the scene later in the movie, after he takes out three players in a totally legal way using his martial arts. And the referee trying to mimic the moves and cite what they were and then giving up. That was also a cute moment. So if it was service to
0: setting that up, small pass, but still. Talking about this movie for an hour makes me feel like I want to hug it. I want to pat it on the head and say, I really like how hard you worked. (laughs) Yeah, you tried. You did your best. You tried your best, (laughs) Necessary Roughness, Stan Gregati team. Yeah, that's good. I didn't love the movie in the first place, but I didn't hate it. But now after talking about it for this long... I want to hug the movie so much, and you can score this movie, speaking of hugging, without a doubt. Bakula and Kozak as a team, Yummy, Jason Bateman so damn cute, Kathy Ireland, Supermodel, Larry Miller, those hair plugs, man. Wow. <laughs> as for a score, I want to hug it, but I still would give it a five, maybe a five out of half and a ten. It's Passable Entertainment, and you said it earlier in the podcast, I would watch it again. It wouldn't be offensive entertainment if it was just on TV, but I wouldn't choose to watch it again.
1: I agree with you entirely. I feel like this is a straight down the middle, five out of 10 style of movie where immediately after watching it, I was just left feeling like, meh, all right. But then when we talk about it and break down those individual little moments, you realize that was kind of cute. You guys did your best. Good job. It's like the participant ribbon
0: of a movie. (laughs) We won't likely be talking about this one again, like the way you do with Friday Night Lights or something. That was a football reference movie. I think it's unlikely this will come up a lot in our future podcasts, but then who knows? There's no G-baby in this. That is its fatal flaw. It's a big missing part, yeah. All right, well, when we do our next movie in two weeks, it'll be May. We wanted to cover this one last summer, but then Prime pulled it, and now it's back on that fickle service. They're so fickle. So in two weeks, it's finally time to hit the links and review The Legend of Bagger Vance, which I guess we should have done in April going into the Masters, but oh, well. We'll do it now. First Japanese Masters champion in history this year. So we are on Twitter, as most people are. Well, some people are. I am at Movie Fiend51. He is at scoring at movies. Oh, how was your drink? It was very much like this movie. Yeah, that was a drink I just had. Not gonna rave about it. Didn't hate it. Kind of enjoyed it. Street Buffalo Trace. Anyway, back to the point. So we're on Twitter. You can also find us wherever you get podcasts. Although when I looked earlier today, we weren't on Stitcher. I was just curious about that. But maybe that's a glitch. Maybe that's a glitcher. Double check that. So we should be wherever you find podcasts. All seventy six episodes, I believe we're at now. All right, I usually end this with the old Sam Elliott voice here and the take her easy, but it's Robert Loggia in this movie and he does it many times, so i got to do this as our sign-off. All right!